Hello and welcome to this episode of the Game Dev London podcast. Uh, currently coming live from uh, Chesham, so that's new. <laughs> uh, and with me today, I have my wonderful uh, guest uh, co-host, guest host, co-host, uh, Chris. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Uh, it's good, thanks. Good, good. Um, so uh, I'm Stuart Deville. You might have uh, you might have known that. I'm just assuming everyone knows who I am at this point. Uh, and uh, today we're going to talk about uh, player experience. Um, let's start with Chris. Um, what is player experience to you? Uh, well, for me, it, it's it's basically it's the whole thing, really. Uh, because when you're making a game, it it's not the game does not happen on the screen um, or in the speakers. The game happens inside the player's head. So the uh, the graphics, the audio, the game design. Uh, all of these uh, things, like any any writing in the game, all of the different elements um, come together to create this um, uh, feeling for the player um, of in being in a a space and playing that game. Um, whether it is like an immersive RPG, or whether it's like a survival horror, that's also immersive, or whether it's like a top-down shooter, which is a bit more of an abstract space, but the player is still, you know totally uh focused on uh the rules of that particular uh game board so um and I, th I think it's quite useful to um consider the player experience in the context of other um games uh, as well as just video games because for for example board games uh there's no, there's no there's no sound effects on board games um yeah. there's not much in the way of graphics you just have some still images and some little you know if you're lucky you have some like nicely sculpted counters um yeah. but the, that's the board a board game is all about conjuring this sort of feeling of um being a master strategist or whatever the game is about and so it, it's it's the 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 game that happens inside the player's head. Yeah, <clears throat> that's that's exactly it, wasn't it? it so the, the player experience uh, dic dictates how our creation or, or our game is received by the user slash player. Um, so for me, um, I've kind of broken this down largely. And I think it's, it's fairly well known. Um, I'm not entirely sure where I got it from originally, but I think it's fairly well known that uh, we tend to break these things down into like, um, six separate parts, um, which is uh, player motivation, well, giving player motivation, um, having meaningful choices, uh, balance, uh, usability, uh, aesthetics and atmosphere or audio, um, and fun. Uh, fun obviously being the, the hardest thing to measure. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, motivation? Motivation is an interesting one um, because it's the classic would be an engaging storyline, um, yeah. which is not strictly necessary because, uh, for example, something I've been playing a lot of lately is Vampire Survivors, which is basically a, a, a kind of a, a bullet hell shooter where, like, um, all the bullets are yours. Um, right. uh, and but and it, it's a it's a sort of top down uh, shooter. It's got a theme. It, it's it's got a vaguely sort of like horror fantasy uh theme to it but there's no there's no story there's no plot there's a bunch of characters who have very punny names um that you can unlock um but it's it's all about the um 
that particular game is all, all about the game design and the motivation is to um that particular one is, is all about like mastering the um mastering the different uh tools and weapons that are available to you and um unlocking everything that gives you like an edge against all of these hordes of monsters so um i guess uh, the it depends on the the type of player because you have um classically i can't remember how many there are but i can probably off the top of my head remember like four classifications of there are players who are interested in um in immersion and story players who are interested in challenge players who are interested in social interactions and players who are completists um i think there's yeah. probably another one or or two um floating out there but those are uh, different motivations and somebody playing an rpg might be interested in story immersion but also in completion because you want to see everything that's available in the world yeah. um probably less interested in challenge that's much more that's the sort of motivation that would draw a player to an online multiplayer go game where they're pitting themselves against other players yeah. so there's, there's a lot of different motivations yeah, it's true. Isn't it? There's um, it's it's such a massive spectrum when you go from like a uh, what what uh, everyone on the internet calls like a hardcore gamer, uh, right through to like a chill gamer. So someone who, like you say, is, is looking for like a, a real challenge, looking for lots of things to go on to explore. Um, and then there are people who are like, actually, I just want a nice place to wander around in maybe have a chat to some um, NPCs or other people online um, and and then there's everything in between and I think um, for us as the designers the hardest thing is making sure we get those motivations correct and, and making trying to find ways of having those be compelling because there's a tendency to just be like well you know you when you take what, what motivation is as a simple term if you were to just be like well players want to kill lots of things so i'm going to give them lots of things to kill you can't really just do it under that raw a basis because yeah because there's nothing there <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a tricky one actually because if the game that i'm working on currently we have deliberately um elected it's a it's a fairly sort of like um uh chill um low low stress uh, kind of game we have deliberately chosen to ignore certain um player motivations such as challenge we're not there is nothing in the game that is in any way um a test of skill or, or a difficult you know something that is difficult to overcome um mm -hmm. in the same way that like dark souls is um uh, or even like more mainstream um uh games like uh call of duty or something where you, like when you die you just get set back to a, a checkpoint and you have another go um we're not even doing that there's no there's no threat so um uh, and that's something that came out of the lego games where we um we were worried with the first of the lego games uh lego star wars that if you if you died and you were immediately just sort of like respawned more or less on the spot it would feel pointless and like you you wouldn't feel like death was any sort of setback at all um so why would you be concerned about it um and it turned out that sort of like just like um the the 
just the the visual and audio feedback of like sh losing all of your studs um and, and that brief pause while you respawned was absolutely enough to make people not want to die because it, it just it there's a, a it's very gentle setback but it's it's just enough um and particularly for the target audience being families um you don't want to frustrate um children uh yes. so we, which is why you will you will not see i mean apart from the the whole sort of like uh the dark storylines you will not find a lot of kids playing um <laughs> dark souls um yeah uh because it's just too frustrating it, it's it, it requires a particular mindset to just keep hammering away at, at, at that game so whereas in contrast you see with a lot of triple a games like uh, such as the assassin's creed um uh, series they try to uh, they're trying to make that ip appeal to as big an audience as possible because they're spending a lot on it so they 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 want it to they want as many people as possible to buy it and therefore um those games like now have multiplayer modes because that's what the players who want a challenge really want um they want yeah. to be able to pit themselves and their skills against other players so they they there sometimes it leads to adding stuff into games that doesn't necessarily sit well with it uh, even the uh, the tomb raider reboots had multiplayer modes bolted on completely separate thing really um and and not um not something that was really fitted with the um with the single player game modes uh but it was it was in there to uh appeal to those players who love challenge and also to stop people from sort of like finishing the game and then taking the disc to like sell it on because publishers hate pre-owned games yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway yeah um but yeah that that's uh so that trying to appeal to everybody i think is, is not necessarily especially as as an indie you're better off picking one particular um, motivation that that um a group of players have and go for that niche rather than trying to be all things to all people yeah i think it happens quite a lot in like uh big studio games right because they're they're looking to uh well they've got a a bigger budget uh, not a a a bigger budget and b bigger overhead <laughs> um so obviously trying to hit uh mass market and try and please everyone is it always tends to be clunky along the fringes somewhere doesn't it it's never like oh they've, they've perfectly nailed that and everyone loves it it's always like well you tried to please everyone and in doing so you didn't really please anyone that's always the way you, you if you if you even with a big studio you you can kind of if you split your focus too much then then um it, it's as if every component of the game was made by a slightly smaller studio um mm. I, I think it's uh but you you get really sort of like you get the pinnacle of, of stuff of um uh games is when the everything is focused on the one experience um so like god of war doesn't have a mo multiplayer mode does it um pretty yeah. sure it doesn't um but that's that's a good example of like all of the effort there was making that one single player experience work on one platform um so there wasn't even any sort of like issues with like trying to port it or um optimize it, it was built specifically for playstation and uh as a result it, it's an incredibly slick and polished uh game because all of the focus was on that particular experience they were trying to create yeah 
Yeah, I think um, it's almost easier for like smaller studios because um, mm. because we're restricted in like what we can actually achieve. So we, it's almost like by nature of what we are um, that we have to, we we can't just be like oh we'll throw in this and that will please those people and we'll throw in this and that will please those people. We're like actually let's please this small niche of people <laughs> uh, because cool. that's that's currently what we can build. That's absolutely right, and uh, part of the reason for that is that you, an indie studio, if you're if you're working on a low budget, then like you you only need to sell into a small niche to um, to cover your costs. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, your Assassin's Creed and um, like big budget games like that, they have to uh, capture a substantial percentage of the entire market to cut to make their money back uh yeah. which is why even though um the 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 tomb raider reboots um uh were very well received um they seemed to sell okay but they were considered slightly underperforming at least the first one um i remember people were surprised that um idos considered it to be underperforming because they were they were looking to um uh, capture a big chunk of of the entire gaming audience with that well-known IP, and right. so they they were, and because they spent an awful lot on making it. Because I'm trying to remember what the figures were. I think the figures were something like five million sales for the first Tomb Raider reboot, which wow. sounds pretty respectable. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but I don't know how much they spent on making it. Um, so if you run the numbers of like it may have only barely broken even um mm. or possibly even made a loss i don't know um obviously it, it i mean it must have broken even because i think if it made a loss they probably wouldn't have gone on to make the all the sequels but um and there would have been there would have been a fair amount of um news about it i would have, <laughs> I would have imagined yeah yeah probably yeah um i don't know they, they don't often sort of um studios um often make a lot bigger studios at least often make a loss mm. on games and don't make a big song and dance about it because it's not great business to say sort of like yeah we made this game and then and didn't actually make a profit from it right um, right yeah that doesn't make that doesn't fill your business partners and customers with confidence that you know what you're doing <laughs> so yeah. so which is why businesses are fairly cagey about their uh finances as well because you know that that um, you don't want people to be looking at your finances and going sort of like, hmm, they can only, you know, if this game doesn't sort of like, doesn't make a profit, they're going to be out of money in six months. Yeah. And then they do things like uh, lay off 300 people and everyone goes, what? Why did they do that? <laughs> exactly. They, well, this is why people, yeah. Are, yeah, it is. You sometimes get that sort of weird thing where sort of like they've just released a game that looks to be really successful. It's had great reviews. And yet they're laying people off, and it's like it, it's because probably it it the game didn't meet the targets that they had set for it, and yeah, you know that that happens obviously more with AAA studios um, and than it does with uh, mm. uh, with indies, but yeah. um, um, I guess with with indies it tends to be more either the the studio sort of like either sort of like survives or collapses rather than they yeah. they lay off a load of people because with an indie studio there's not very many people to lay off yeah yeah it's it's one of those things isn't it like um 
as as an indie studio, you literally live and die by the success of your games. Your last, so. your last game as well. Yeah, even yeah, if, yeah. Not even, even if your... <laughs> even if the over. one before it was was good. Um, yeah, it, it's that money soon disappears. It it really does. Yeah. So yeah. it's the it's the last one that is always critical. However, we have drifted a little bit away from player experience yes. uh, and into <laughs> developer experience. <laughs> So uh, let's let's bring this back on track with uh, meaningful choices. Um, mm. Meaningful choices is uh, well, it kind of ties into like that. That's the same thing that we have with motivation, really. Like um, with the with the fact that when you provide a player with choices, those choices need to make sense. They need to, they need to feel good, and they need to, because obviously you can have like a storyline, and you want to take your player along that storyline. Um, but you want to give them choices along that storyline so they feel like they have some uh, agency mm-hmm. and some some control. But if um, every single decision that they make doesn't really matter because they're going to end up on the same linear path, <laughs> then very quickly you're going to upset your uh, your audience. Yeah. What I mean, are your feelings on it? Well, this is a, this is a classic uh, smoke and mirrors thing because you want the mm, player to yes. feel like they are making meaningful choices. However, as a developer. Ideally, you you want to implement as few choices as possible because every choice is a ton of work mm-hmm. that is only going to be seen by a, a subset of the players. So, if you um, you know, not that many play, people will replay a game, especially if it's something sort of like big and sprawling narratively, like Mass Effect. Yeah. So. Uh, if the if you have a branch point where you have two options, then people are going to choose those options. Probably only sort of like half of your players are going to see each option, mm. and uh, but it's just as much work to make each half. And if you have like a three way choice or a four way choice, or if each of those two branches splits, you end up with um, uh, um, combinatorial explosion and uh, like far too many variations uh, to cope with which is why variations and and the choices tend to be splitting within the dialogue and then like the the resulting outcome um because that's that's all part of the same scene so it's literally it's just a a line of text and and a uh, and a line from an actor is the only difference between that choice and that choice and setting a flag that we can reference later on but the the trick yeah. is trying to make it and there's a whole bunch of writing tricks to try to sort of make the player feel like their choices are being acknowledged by the game yeah. even if it doesn't take you to completely different planets and introduce different characters because you don't want yeah. to change the, the like the the roster of characters that much from player choices yeah not if you can help it exactly yeah so ideally you want it to be you want the game to be fairly linear but feel like the player's making lots of choices and mass effect is a great example of this there's lots of tricks that they use there so within a chapter you go to a planet you've got to try to like um uh save the krogans or something and um you will have a bunch of like splitting options uh within that storyline uh to do with like who you're going to side with and trying to persuade characters to do one thing or another ultimately it all dovetails back together and like either you succeed or fail with that chapter and then you move on and you will have set you know the game remembers that you did or did not save the krogans and 
also probably flags that sort of like you killed or did not kill this NPC and you yeah. did or did not do this subplot and so on and so forth. So those things can be referenced later on with a little line of dialogue because that's all it takes. It's yeah. just later on when you go back and talk <laughs> to the same character and they remember that you helped them or didn't help them. That makes it feel real. Yeah, my, my favorite ones are the ones where you do something and um, a character um, behaves different towards you based on what, what you have done throughout the game. Because yeah. that, that, that is kind of really like an easy win. You just go, yep, you did or didn't save that person. And because you didn't, um, maybe someone that you didn't save, uh, you meet a character later on. And because you didn't go save those people, you actually um, inadvertently allowed their sibling to die or their parents to die or something. Yeah. And so they're, you know, um, and in some cases that's done really well because that character that you are interacting with kind of still has, like, it's a real world thing. Like they still have to deal with you and kind yeah. of like maybe be professional with you or whatever, but you can feel the tension because they mention the fact that like, you're the reason my family died and you're like, Oh damn. <laughs> and that, that's a great example of that. That is pure flavor because that does not necessarily mm. change the, um, the functionality of that character in terms of the story. They will still sell you weapons or they will yeah. still, um, give you information on such and such another um, character, but they will just do it grudgingly and grumpily yeah. rather than in, in a friendly manner. Um, or so they'll give you worse gear when they would have given you You can, yeah. Gear. I mean, or they will that, charge, quite you a nice price, yeah. charge you higher prices for There's for nice equipment. little so, touches like that that yeah, don't can... make these massive changes in the game that are going to yeah exactly to cry <laughs> reflecting consequences in small ways is is a great yeah. um is a great way to do it uh but yeah i mean there there are dozens and dozens of different um tricks uh like that from just like flavor and stuff key thing with with making choices though is that you you need to know that you're making a choice mm. for it to be meaningful uh yeah. so for example there's some stuff in uh, beyond two souls um where there are like entire sort of like chapters later on in the game that are sort of like quietly unlocked by doing certain interactions in the early stages of the game. So if you look at a family photo at the beginning of the game, then that unlocks st some stuff later on that leads to a, a whole new scene. But the thing is, right. if you don't know that, that that stuff has become unlocked, then when you get to it, you, you don't, feel that there's any payoff there because you didn't know mm. that it, it was an option which is why you get yeah. um things like in the walking dead um uh celestine will uh, uh remember that um right, and, right. and like really sort of like telegraphing to the player that a choice that they made will have a payoff down the line um now i suspect some of those choices don't actually have a payoff down the line but it the, just telling the player that that it will gives this sense that the, that the game is juggling lots of choices and it feels yeah. meaningful. So you the game is literally telling the player sort of like that made a difference. Um, even if it didn't, because it's smoke and mirrors. And if in the player's head, they're, they're imagining this elaborate sort of um, complex plot simulation going on under the bonnet, when in fact it might well be a lot more linear than, than they, than they think. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's the cardinal sin, isn't it? This is why like games like Call of Duty are often sort of like um, called uh, in a derogatory sense corridor shooters because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's not they 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 present a linear experience that is extremely polished at the cost of any sense that you're choosing to do anything. You're just being told what to do and you have to yeah. go and do it. Um, yeah, so... go enter this space, shoot the guys that are going to come at you, clear that space, move on to the next space where some guys are going to come shooting at yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. and, th and that's fair enough because like, <clears throat> yeah. the focus of those games is on the cinematic experience and uh, and the gunplay so it, it's yeah. all about um the 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 feel of different weapons and your tactical choices about whether you are you know who are you going to do pick off first are you going to try mm. to pick off the sniper up top or are you going to just try to sort of like keep moving to avoid getting sniped whilst you clear out all the grunts who are easier to kill um yeah you know that there are choices at a different level there that are not storyline choices um so in a game that is all about um shooting then your choice of who to shoot at um can be uh can be extremely me meaningful um even if the the, the plot is yeah. completely linear yeah it's short immediate impact as opposed to long changing winding um what would, what would the term be? <laughs> yeah, so like I say, it's it's, it's the difference between short-term impact and long-term impact. Um, you choosing who to kill means that right there you get feedback on that. Yeah. Whereas they don't they don't need for you to kill the sniper on the roof and then find out later that because you killed the sniper on the roof, um, this other guy who was his brother is now going to be coming at you. That doesn't happen. <laughs> I would I would also know that I mean we're talking about a, a lot about storyline, but in something like mm. a, a racing game or a platformer, um, meaningful choices, uh, I guess, covers the player's ability to uh, master the available um, gameplay verbs and use the right one in the right situation. So you know, yeah. if you if you if you have a pit of spikes, you know you have to jump across it. If you have like uh, a um, if you have like a vertical column with like alternating spikes on the left and right walls, then you know the sort of oh you've got to wall oh, jump yeah. left and right to get uh, to get up there. So, um, uh, and in some cases, it's not that obvious which hmm. tools you're supposed to use. You know, you've got to get across all these like spikes, but should you should you be double jumping? Should you sort of like try to get up higher and glide? You know, what what are the yeah. options available to you? Is there something you can use a grappling hook to swing across it? You know, the and in some cases you can't get across in a Metroidvania, you might not be able to get across at all if you don't have the grappling hook. Um so right. it, it's it's about um understanding the verbs that are available to you and like which ones you are going to use and whether you should you know whether you can use them or not and you need to go and like look elsewhere for additional tools that will get you further in the game so all of those things um uh and i guess in, in strategy games it, it's, it's about like understanding that when you change your city to produce these like different units then that changes the balance of the, of the battles because now you've got like these units instead of those units. Um, uh, it, it's all it's all got to feel like um, you're 
interaction change things so yeah you know in and in some cases i think even like in a strategy game sometimes like there are units that are very similar to each other mechanically but they maybe have like a different um a different look to them uh or different presentation or something and that there may be something quite um i mean realistically in a strategy game most players are interested in the mechanics of how that works so that they they do want all of their units to to have slightly different uh functionality um but i think maybe more in, in a mobile game you'll find that there are sort of like um mobile games where you have some choices that are available to you that are not distinctly different mechanically but they just provide a different look that um so you know the difference between like a flamethrower and a machine gun might actually not be that much um you know there's potential for there to be lots of differences so a flamethrower might set enemies on fire and then they like take damage continuously over time whereas a machine gun doesn't or a flamethrower is a bit slower to cross the distance so you can put a lot of different things in there yeah but it, it could it could be um identical um mechanics and just a different you know just reskinned to uh, to look different and in some cases that can prove to be um quite satisfying if you feel that like a flamethrower is an upgrade from a machine gun yeah so it doesn't necessarily have to be a real difference yeah i think i think that um this actually brings us brings us nicely along into balance Mm. um because yeah having 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 the right thing doing it the right way um and um which all again ties in I think between balance and meaningful choices, there's a lot of tie-in between between the two, um, because yeah, you you can go too far one way with one thing, you can go too far the other way with another thing. Um, and I think well, there's lots of ways of looking at balance as well, isn't there? Because there's a, a way of looking at the highs and the lows that you bring to the player. What what are your thoughts on on balance? How how do you deal with balance in your games? Balance is a tricky one. I mean. Uh... Honestly, I don't actually have all that much experience with balance because most of the games that I've worked on um, have been like the Lego games, um, which didn't really have uh, any need for balance because they didn't have uh, try to satisfy that challenge motivation. Um, So, you know, when when you can just like die and respawn and keep on uh, plugging away, um, Mm. it it doesn't really, um, I guess... In the context of the Lego games, there were a few bosses that maybe had, like, when we started putting health bars on bosses rather than just sort of like your classic Zelda three hit um, uh, patterns, um, there's there's an element of even if you there's no real threat there, you just have to keep plugging away at the boss until you win. There's an element right. of how how much health do you want them to have and how long do you want the player to be fighting the boss because it needs to be enough that they feel like there was a challenge and it was a hard thing to beat, but not so much that they start to get bored and frustrated that they're still trying to kill the same baddie. So even completely absent of any genuine gameplay balance, the, in terms of the player experience, that, that like that health bar um, needs a little bit of tuning. Um, yeah. Um, and then obviously you've got, um, your classic sort of like damage per second, um, which is the only meaningful way to compare different 
weapons because uh, you can have like uh, you can have a machine gun that shoots a lot of bullets that do small amount of damage very frequently, or you can have a shotgun that does a large amount of damage infrequently. Um, yeah. And then there's other variables as well, like the amount of spread, the amount of splash damage, the uh, you know potentially sort of like continuous damage because you've set people on fire. But there's a lot of ways that uh, this is why combat is so good for video games because there yeah. are many many ways to um, uh, get like hit points, armor, damage, and projectiles and zones to interact with each other um and we we see loads of ex interesting explorations of that especially in uh stuff like uh, overwatch where you have that's the that's a classic of balance where you, you've got lots of characters with different skills that are supposed to con be contrasting and provide different ways to play but they all have to be kind of balanced so that none of them are particularly um uh, overpowered yeah yeah I, I always find um like whenever i'm making game so well the one that we're working on at the moment i can't talk too much about but like um it's a tabletop game um and uh because it's sort of like one one player versus another player um and you have certain elements in the in this game that help you win uh, we've even got a mechanic where, like, if you are winning too much, then you actually lose. So there's, like, a lot of uh, yeah. fun things that you can do with balance, um, especially when you've got, yeah, multiple multiple people playing. And you don't, you don't ever want to have it so that um, someone feels like there's something that they're given or there's something that – some way to play it that gives them an unfair advantage. I mean, even, even when you're doing it, like um, – it, when it's just a, a player playing against uh, the computer, as it were, um, you don't want the player to ever feel like, oh, well, once I get this, it's like, you know, I can just w walk through the game and, and complete it. There always needs to be a bit of a, like... Uh, again, it kind of ties into that meaningful choices. Um, you, it has to feel meaningful. Like, you don't... If anything's ever overpowered, then... Yeah, you, you're not giving them a game. You're just giving them something to walk through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, that can still be really fun. I mean, I, I like to play the Uncharted games on easy mode um, mm. uh, because I'm interested more in the like story and the exploration than the actual shooting. Um, uh, and so for me, the shooting parts of Uncharted are reduced to sort of like picking a target pretty much and it auto aims and then I pick yeah. them off it still feels satisfying because I'm making decisions. I'm making meaningful choices about yeah. who I'm going to target. Am I going to target the guys that are trying to flank me first or go for the sniper with, um, or, or the guy on the tower with the rocket launcher who can only fire every few seconds um, and I can hear him. So it's quite easy to just move away when he fires. But um, uh, though, those, those are still, they still work out as as choices. So the the interesting thing with, with balance, I think, is that it's not just about making it making um, every weapon m more or less similar in in the you know. So none of them are unfairly overpowered, um, and none of the different choices available to the players make one give play, one player an unfair advantage. But it's not always about fairness. It can be about pacing and. Um, uh, uh, as you say, sort of like 
trying to um i like the idea of a of a that board game you're talking about where yeah if you it's not just about sort of like racing ahead um uh and and because a lot of games tend to get into the trap of once you start winning that you you're going to continue winning um mm. because once you have sort of like wealth and resources and options then you you have a lot of different ways that you can um uh, you can apply it but uh yeah if, if you have to sort of like if you have some sort of like mechanic uh that acts as a handbrake on that like a, like the rubber banding in mario kart yeah then <clears throat> that's quite that's quite nice because it means that you you've got to be careful or like if you get too successful then you that creates more things for you to worry about that a less successful player doesn't have to worry about um it's one of the things that i remember about um the early days of command and conquer mm. like if if you hunker down and got your resources sorted then kind of fairly quickly you became op you were just like yeah i've got all the resources i can build whatever i want very quickly and um in some in some cases you you, you <laughs> i became like a really kind of sadistic player because i would gather hunker down make sure my base is protected kill, um, i'm killing it on the resources and then i will just send out something that will like um take out the leg of the opponent for a little bit longer so i can get more resources so that by the time <laughs> i head on over there i literally just i've got such a big like army to slap them with yeah that it's, it's insane um they obviously got very they got a lot better at balance <laughs> as as the uh, as the games continued yeah um so let's move on to um usability i think um the thing about all of these things is like they all they do all tie in together there's, there's quite a lot of overlap and and usability is actually kind of almost harder to pinpoint because mm. it's it's really just a case of like can the player play the game yeah like um is there sufficient um ui feedback is there sufficient like even yeah. uh heptics like feedback like um all of these things that allow the player to to know what's going on and to interact with the game. Yeah. So, I mean, I would actually roll into usability, um, accessibility um, mm. as well, because yeah. usability by default, um, as you described, is all about, um, I mean, the biggest challenge is tutorializing the game, um, teaching the player how to play this game what are the verbs that are available to you what do, what does the game expect you to do with those verbs um so you know the, i remember that this is a fun little anecdote the first time i um played thief was actually at e3 in 97 and it was uh, on show there this was an early build of thief where you had a crossbow instead of a bow right. um uh and because I was used to playing Quake, I was trying to play it like Quake because it was a first-person game and I had a weapon in my hand. So yeah. I tried to play it like uh, Quake. And uh, <laughs> Warren Spector was stood next to me trying to explain what the game was about. And I was just kind of like, I know all, I know how to play first-person shooters. <laughs> and I was like circle-strafing around these guards that I had just walked into the room in front of and uh, trying to shoot them. I did not do very well in that demo um and i wandered <laughs> off and it wasn't until it wasn't until after the show a couple of months later uh the, the demo came out 
and I played mm. the demo and that properly tutorialized it and I paid more attention to what I was supposed right. to be doing. And they'd given you like a bow that was obviously a slow firing weapon that you would not want to like go toe to toe with a guard with. Um rather than the crossbow that felt a little bit more rapid fire. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's about teaching the player how to how to play it and making it so that the the thing the challenges that are presented to the player are the ones that you intend uh, there to be so in continuing to use thief as an example that's a game about um stealth so it's all about basically choosing a route biding your time waiting until the coast is clear moving from shadow to shadow it's it's about um kind of exploring the space um and and like using cautious and it promotes quite a slow pace of of play um and even and if the guards spot you then it tends to promote you just like getting the hell out of there until everything's calmed down a bit um whereas something like uh, doom eternal is fully designed for you to just hurl yourself into combat as um uh, with wild abandon and keep on moving um and so all of the game mechanics are designed around um just constantly sort of like attack 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 um uh, and not being cautious it's like the polar opposite of of thief so you've got to teach the player how you expect them to play the game otherwise yeah. if somebody tries to play thief like they would play doom eternal or like i played it um, then they will suck at it and won't enjoy themselves. Similarly, if they try to play, if I try to play Doom Eternal the way I play Thief, not going to have fun. Um, a good a good tutorial is like, um, I think it is it can be quite challenging to make a good tutorial. Mm -hmm. There are there are some games that make it like that do it really well, and you kind of almost don't even really realize that you're in a tutorial at all. Um, I remember. Uh, my first game, which is not an example of that at all, <laughs> uh, we we literally had uh, just well, just by the way that we made it, it was a mobile game, um, and there were lots of things that we were up against in order to um, to have a tutorial in the first place. Um, that we ended up it, it being a separate uh, button, so you could you could either dive in and just be like I'll figure it out as I go, which I wouldn't recommend ever for, for the game that we made. Uh, but then, like having the tutorial, uh, it was literally like um, you have to follow through. Like so, until you've pressed the correct button, you can't progress to do the next thing. Yeah, which always feels a bit like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, and we did try and make it like super quick, so that even you know, you, you press it, it does a thing. Okay, what's the next thing? Press it, do the next thing. Um, almost like to be able to allow you to skip through, but still <laughs> know that you know this is what you had to press to do it um yeah to d being able to allow the player to learn how to play your game and not turn them off <laughs> yeah. that it, that in itself is a task it really is because uh, i mean the the, cla the classic example is like mega man which does a great example of um uh it, like teases you with like the mega man's full powers and then sort of like takes them all away from you and put like sets you back a bit and then like sl slowly reintroduces them one at a time um, and lets you get used to each one um, uh, as you go. Lots of games uh, do it that way, and it's a really natural way to tutorialize it, which is how you end up with like the um, like the Assassin's Creed games because there's so much in them. 
they're still introducing new features and abilities to you 10 hours into the game yeah um and you, you're still learning stuff but you have to do it that way because you could not you literally could not pick up everything that was in assassin's creed no in, way in a, yeah. in a one minute tutorial um right. i mean i've had that one of the splinter early splinter cell games um had a tutorial which was basically kind of like right here's here's the here's how to you know you had an obstacle course you had to use every ability in the game to get through this obstacle course and it, it taught you all of this stuff but it did it all in a very compressed space and said sort of like right you've got through the obstacle course now you know what all of your abilities are off you go yeah and it's like oh well i i can't remember them because i've done each one precisely <laughs> once to get through the obstacle yeah. course and yeah. then forgotten you know you need to let people play and enjoy themselves and get used to the feel of of, of it before you move on um i think just... uh, Mar mario has always been an another one of the ones that's like a, a pinnacle because um yeah. within that first level you're taught um almost everything really like that you have mm -hmm. to jump there you know there are gaps you need to traverse then uh you get past the traversing the gaps and the steps and then it's like oh here's an enemy jump on the enemy oh, okay that's how you kill an enemy here's a thing like and by the time you get yeah to the end of that first uh to the first flag you've you've almost learned everything that you need to learn about the game it's a great example actually because like it's interesting that like nintendo's two biggest um games um mario and zelda um are very diametrically opposed in that sense where um zelda is all about um uh kind of like unlocking like a host of different tools to the you know so a whole bunch of different yeah. lock and key mechanics that allow you to explore different parts of the game and they're all cool whereas mario is much more about sort of like what can you do with these simple core abilities yeah um and and that so mario is much more about sort of developing mastery where Z zelda is much more about um uh following along with the story um uh, you know unlocking sort of like um tools for completionists uh, so on and so forth and just to just to come back to accessibility i see accessibility support as just an extension of usability it's mm. uh, you know um good example is with 8-bit games that i grew up on um they tended because like some games would like use a joystick if they were simple. More complicated games would just basically like just use like every key on the keyboard um, for for different things. So you would have um, you'd be playing a like a, a tactical game or something like that, and you just have for different like um, moves for a unit, you would just like have different buttons that would make them like rest or like resupply or yeah. or like or go on overwatch and so there was some quite com complex game ideas in a lot of the the 8-bit games that were really really hard to get your head around because like in those days like the tutorialization tended to be reading the manual while it loaded um <laughs> yeah. so good good pastimes yeah yeah um, yeah happy days uh 
But the thing is, and, and making uh, like grabbing a bit of paper and writing down a cheat sheet essentially that you kept. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Hand. You'd have, or you'd have like those like 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 magazines would come with like a keyboard like thing mm. that you would fit over your keyboard, and it yeah. had labels for for a particular game and so on, yeah. which helped a little bit. But then you'd still end up looking at the keyboard layout to remember what. <laughs> was what yeah. you're like isn't it i'm yeah. sure that oh no i'm dead okay, whereas right. nowadays we've we can we would we've got a whole host of like user interface uh things like like for, for strategy games for example you know you can you can have like right click context menus that present you all of the available options and tool tips that explain what things mean and stuff like that there's a lot of like stuff that could have been done on those 8-bit games there's no reason that you couldn't have like an 8-bit game with like tooltips um on it or pop-up menus like the final fantasy like the early yeah. final fantasy games that allowed you to select things rather than just press a key to to get things but you know th this was when games were in their infancy and like the easiest yeah, way to say to... we we do we we do need to be kind to the retro games <laughs> yeah no, they, I... they, they definitely hadn't figured out everything that we figured out now and i i imagine in probably in like 10 years time people will be looking back at the games that we made and they're like can you believe they had it like so clunky <laughs> i don't know I, I think that's a that's a discussion in itself actually because yeah. i think that we have got to the point now that we have like fully 3d games and like we've we've refined we've we're getting to the point of diminishing returns where it's yeah. getting really really hard to innovate in significant ways and the level of the sort of innovation that we're seeing is much more um subtle innovation like for example the difference but i say subtle the difference between thief and doom eternal mm. they're both first person games about exploration and a bit of shooting but one of them is you know focused on sort of like taking it slow and like using the environment and the other one is is focused on sort of like using the enemies uh as your um as your tools so yeah. that um that's a i'm calling that a subtle distinction even though it's really not that subtle but yeah. it's it's the sort of thing that that um i think that we're starting to see uh differences there's a lot of games that are basically like third person game action games mm. but you see a lot of ver variety within that so you might have um something like like the witcher 3 and grand theft auto and dynasty warriors all look more or less the same in terms of like you've got a figure on screen yeah um but they they play entirely differently all of them because they are designed to you know present a slightly different player experience um yeah. and i think that that's where we're starting to see more um innovation now because we have solved a lot of the more basic problems of um giving you know the player a, a lot of options i mean we have made a controller that bristles with buttons that is kind of intimidating for people who are un not used to it but um it it works um and yeah. a lot of games not many games use all of those buttons in fairness that's true yeah a lot, a lot of games you just um there are your core buttons that you'll use your your bread and butter buttons <laughs> for, yeah. for the game and then your you just kind of need to have in your periphery um what those other buttons do if and when you need them yeah um so um 
Because you mentioned Doom there, I think yeah. we've got a, a nice little segue into aesthetics and atmosphere <laughs> with audio. <Yeah. laughs> uh, it's like early, do- early, early Doom, obviously, was um, aesthetically, uh, well, at the time, oh. everyone was just like, oh my God, this looks amazing. It to was... us now, we're like, oh my God, there's so much like flat imagery there. <laughs> um, but atmosphere-wise, was very heavy. Audio-wise, yeah. was like, like it just had a, a, a like a really full package and i think they even today that you know they've come along with that that is updated and upgraded in such a beautiful way yeah um yeah. what are your thoughts on aesthetics and atmosphere i mean I, I think it's probably the most um obvious contributor to the player experience yeah. um you know you, you can you can provide the exact same environment to explore and it will feel completely different if in in a survival horror game to a um, like World War Two shooter. Um, you know, e- even to, to the extent where like you've got some games like a game like Half Life Two, where they suddenly sort of like uh, take you to uh, what's the town called, the like Ra- Ravenwood, something like that. There's um, there's basically a, like a, a, halfway through Half Life two, 2, there's that town which is full of like um, headcrab zombies um, and it, it's basically it turns for for one level it all goes survival horror yeah um and that that's all about the um i mean there's obviously there's game design elements to that as well but there's a lot of build up to um um raven home i think is the, is the name of the town um there's a lot of build up to um that level uh to to start to get you sort of like nervous about it um uh and then the 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 look of it is it's it's a much more gothic looking level where the like the rest of the game is a bit more um like brutalist or or natural landscapes yeah um and uh yeah so i mean obviously it is the the graphics and the audio that can make a game feel scary or pleasant and so on yeah i think um dark souls is one of my recent uh good examples as well like especially with the fact that every boss and i didn't realize this on the on the onset i actually learned about it later on from you know when you when you start to digest like well why is Mm. that so good um and it it turned out that um the movement of each boss um follows through with the pacing of the music and so um I think there's one, uh, I can't remember what she's called, but she's like this massive uh, haunting ghostly female boss. Mm-hmm. And the music uh, has a really unusual pattern to it, but she plays to that exact pattern. And like, That's a really nice feature. I know. Isn't that just... <laughs> That's, I was not aware of that. Um, so yeah, honestly, do yeah, do yourself a favor and, and uh, find a YouTube video on it. Uh, I think that there's a particularly I can't remember which guy it is. Maybe I'll try and find it and send it to you. But like, yeah, the fact that that and and again that you know that adds to the atmosphere because you don't even you it's not something that you are openly aware of as you're playing. Mm. Um, but it, it's such a massive impact when the music is like hitting a beat or something, and the character is hitting you with that beat. I just getting a little bit goosebumpy yeah. thinking about it <laughs> some yeah. some game designers have have just thought to that next level on how can i deliver 
a feeling to a player yeah um and and what is the yeah what is the thing that can do that yeah that that's a that's a really good example actually uh, mm. of a of a less obvious uh way in which that, that um aesthetics and atmosphere uh contribute um, it's so sneaky but it's so powerful yeah but i mean even within um ju- just the like the aesthetics um mm. that there's that is a tiny tiny little feedback loop so the um uh, the fact that, for example, like you walk through a doorway and you walk into a room that is darker um, and the, the the sounds change because like it's it's a big room, but it's dark. And so like you mm. walk in and like your footsteps are now echoing and uh, and you can't see as far. And, and so all of those um, things totally change the um, the experience um, just because you've like stepped through. A doorway and and it's amazing there was um best example i can think of for this was uh, i played a um a fan-made total conversion for doom um uh to make it into alien um, right. aliens sorry yeah now obviously doom borrows heavily from aliens uh anyway but somebody yeah. had taken the trouble to sort of like do a complete conversion it went through the whole movie and so on some of the clever things that they did in that um was like the first level had no aliens in it at all all it had were sort of like quotes from the movie that would triggered at certain points which would startle you um and so you went you played through the entire first level expecting there to be aliens and there were and you didn't know until you finished the level and it says sort of like kills zero out of zero oh you (laughs) um but it was yeah. great and because it, it felt really tense and you still felt so i found the armory <gasps> look there's eight shotgun shells yes um and then halfway through the second level you explore again you're exploring the base and uh, everything's like nerve-wracking and, and so on because you know that like the aliens are scary and then you go down a lift and you get to the bottom of the lift and it's all sort of like alien goo and they right. literally with the, the Doom engine, because it's got very sort of like rectangular walls and stuff, they just filled the alien goo space with stalagmites and stalactites of like black goo so that you couldn't even see the shape of the room that you were in. Um, and I just took one look at that and went, I am not going there <laughs> until I absolutely have to. Yeah. Uh, and, and that it just created that like very obvious kind of like this is a bad place to go into um and that was a really that was a great experience um i think the we are almost like quite spoiled these days with what with what we can do aesthetically yeah um and i i'm definitely more aware that um i, I feel like we're getting bigger changes in audio and and how we play with audio right now than than aesthetics because we you know we've now got everything from low poly to hyper realistic um and cinema and uh, you know film and cinema has, has largely done everything that we um we take from in order to like visually set up certain uh, a feeling visually um so i it'd be, it'd be interesting to see like where what is left to push in that area so so let's um move on to our, our last um I have one one last note oh, yeah, on aesthetics and atmosphere. Something yeah. that um, that video games can do that cinema can't, because you raised that. Um, mm. 
uh, is, for example, being able to design your own character and right. choose how you are represented in the game yeah. is some that is unique to video games. Um, and that is a very powerful thing for the player experience to be able to make an avatar that looks like you, that is your gender or your skin color um, uh, or, or whatever. Um, and that that is a, a significant um has a significant effect on the player's experience i think yeah um yeah it's, it's definitely something that, that's that's very powerful because uh, even if you don't because i find kind of in in most cases these days i don't particularly create a character that looks like me but i do create a character that i want to have created yeah. or, or that like an idea that I've had and and that gives you just as much buy-in on this like you care about this character um you you've almost like you know you, you and I both have kids so we know what it's like to create something and be like I really care about this thing I created <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I, th I think that's really powerful in games I, I, so, I think um, yeah I mean kids are obviously the ultimate expression of that but um yeah uh, everybody loves to like design their own avatar and and it makes you a little bit more invested in that um in that character if you have put some effort into choosing the way that they look even if they look nothing like you so from that element of fun <laughs> yeah into fun um uh fun is such because it's like every, most people have a slightly different idea of fun. Obviously, there are some, you know, some massive generalizations you can make um, in in terms of what is fun and what isn't fun. Mm -hmm. We've got a pretty good idea of what we think is fun, but I think quite a, quite often um, we, uh, especially when we're designing games, we we come up with a thing and we're like, this is going to be so much fun to to play, and then we give it to someone and they either go oh, I don't get it. Or they're like, yeah, it was okay. And you're like, no, no, that was like the most fun you could have. And they're like, yeah, that was all right. Um, what, how do you uh, try and measure fun? Oh, crumbs. Mm. That, that's such a, such a hard one. Um, yeah. At, at the end of the day, I mean, it's very subjective. It's, it's very woolly. Um, as a, game designer at the end of the day you, you basically have to sort of like making best guesses about what is going to work well together yeah. um, but very often you have to implement it to see how it feels because you can accidentally create you know put multiple um, sort of like mechanics and aesthetics together in such a way that you you've created something that, that has an unintended effect um yeah so uh i mean a classic example of that is the um uh grand theft auto thing where you can um you can mug people and and get some money off them because you know it's a game about being a criminal um and yep. you can also uh, sleep with hookers to regain health um and then when you put those two mechanics together and you sleep with a hooker to regain your health and then mug them to take your money back, that's like a really, really unpleasant um, yeah. thing to, to have put in the game. And obviously, and the tabloids jumped on that with the assumption that if it was possible, it was intentional. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I suspect that at worst like somebody at rockstar like recognized that you could do that 
and thought sort of like, yikes, but you know, it's a game about chaos and, and, yeah. uh, and being the bad guy. Um, so sure. Um, let it stand. Uh, and maybe regretted it later. Um, but, <laughs> I would uh, imagine so. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, that, that's that's a good example of, of an unintended consequence of game mechanics working together in in weird ways, and that which is a great example of why you have to um, you just have to iterate. You have to put stuff in, try it out, see if it works. So, you know, you have to give it to other people who like which which is basically what focus testing is is like giving it yeah. to people who are not you to yeah. have a go and see what um see what they make of it whether you know do they understand the way that it all fits together do they discover an exploit in in the way that it all fits together and and so on and do, does the that the way that it fits together work for them because in some cases you know like as a designer you can design something that like works really well for you and maybe a small niche of people but maybe the majority of people don't get the same enjoyment out of that particular thing so you you've you've got to it's i mean it's really hard to measure i think like the easiest thing is just like just to watch other people playing it and see what they see what they do yeah. Um, and that that I think is um, that's why going to shows is really useful actually just watching over somebody's shoulder watching them play the game and trying to resist the urge to tell them how to do it mm. um, yeah. and watching them struggle and watching yeah, them you just, you like... just kind of have to um, like you have, you have to measure the emotion you, can't, you literally because you, you yeah. there, there might be a temptation to be like oh well, let's measure the giggle let's see how much they giggle while, while playing <laughs> or, you know uh, they, they're I mean, clearly they're having a good time but also you want those moments where they're like oh damn yeah, oh, yeah. or like oh whoa <laughs> you need to literally measure as much different type of emotion as, as you can get uh, hopefully you do get quite a lot out of them yeah. uh, in terms of like you know the, the levels and stuff but um, because a good game as, as we mentioned previously does um, it, it takes you on a uh, peaks and troughs like roller coaster ride uh, you don't want it to be like flat out extreme because that well a that's exhausting <laughs> but b it's not very compelling you, and, and you don't you don't feel the highs if you don't have the lows yeah i mean i i will say i mean this almost is a good way to wrap it up but the best focus tests um are the ones where they will they will video the game being played and they will also video the um, the player playing it, um, yeah. which I think is why sort of like watching streamers is so useful to um, mm, game yeah. developers, um, because effectively they are basically voluntarily focus testing your game. So if you can get a game out into early access and get streamers to play it, that's really useful, because watching their face as they try to learn your game and 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 play through your game is the best indicator that you have. Of the player experience that is going on inside their head, um, I, that, I would say yes, to that definitely. But I, I think also um, you just need to have, like, be aware of the caveat that they are playing to an audience. For streamers, that they, that, yeah. that's true. Yeah. But if, if for focus testing, um, if it's if it's just sort of like people who have signed up to just to play a game, mm. uh, and you know they know they're being recorded, but they they don't expect 
like yeah. millions of people on the internet you're you're right yeah. the streamers are doing it to to entertain so they will um oh, but i mean even with that <laughs> like uh, they 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 a streamer can still give you like a good indication of where yeah where you can look for those emotions because if they're like whoa that came out of nowhere you can actually look into it and be like did that come out of nowhere is that is that as good as that that seems um or yeah, yeah, the because they, I mean, they do tend to play up anything that they deem as surprising, don't they? Like, whoa, I can't believe how powerful this gun is, and you're like, <laughs> come on, man, <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly, they, they, I mean, in some ways, it just highlights um stuff that any other player would feel because, mm. um, at the end of the day, they are having a player experience in their head and then they are exaggerating that player experience for entertainment value. Um, it's possible that might be actually like more useful but <laughs> in some ways yeah, yeah because they they will latch if something if they if they like something then they will latch onto that and and uh and and say so Ex and express it, yeah. how much they like it if they can pet the dog then they're, yeah. they're going to go sort of like oh my god i can pet the dog this is so cute and so on <laughs> um yeah. or if something startles them then they you know they're gonna scream like a baby um like uh, PewDiePie and any yeah, horror game. Exactly. Ever... <laughs> so, obviously, you, you've, you've got to bear in mind, but it, it is fascinating that... Um, what I think is interesting as well, actually, is that um, with the growth of people who enjoy just watching streamers play games, mm. we are seeing that watching someone else's player experience is as entertaining as having that experience for yourself yeah um and i think that that's 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 really interesting um because i have quite enjoyed watching um uh some uh streamers um uh, particularly streamers who are friends of mine streaming en elden ring that i don't yeah. think i'm ever going to be able to play even though it's not as tough as dark souls by all accounts mm. I, I love the aesthetics uh yeah. the atmosphere the narrative um all of that stuff um fascinating but i just it, it's just that sort of like challenge aspect of the game design that that i'm totally not into and and can't play but it's really rewarding watching someone who is into the challenge keep plugging away at the same boss until they damn well beat it yeah yeah that's true okay cool so um that that's that's going to be it from us for today um Thank you, Chris, for joining me and uh, co-hosting on, on this uh, very uh, interesting episode for all of you listeners out there. <laughs> um, obviously, you can find us uh, every Monday. Um, uh, uh, we drop an episode every Monday. Um, you can find out more about us at gamedev.london. Um, in fact, yeah, everything's there. Or you can join our Discord community, uh, gamedev.london forward slash join. Um, we're on all the socials, just game dev london we're, we're fairly easy to find at this point you could probably google us in fact i know that you can google us and you'll find every link you need uh chris where can people find uh you and more about you uh, uh i'm on twitter as uh, uh qixotl um and uh, you can probably find links from there cool in that case that all that remains is uh say thanks for joining us and see you again next time see ya